0: the hormone levels and the acne even, and you know, it evens out some of those symptoms, which is great if that's what your goal is, is just to minimize symptoms. But that was not my goal. My goal was to figure out what is the underlying cause of this issue and how can I deal with the root problem, not just the symptoms. Hey ladies, you're listening to the Mom Talks
1: with Krista podcast, where I interview some of the most amazing women, from those sharing knowledge related to labor, breastfeeding, and postpartum issues, to everyday moms sharing stories of struggle, triumph, and the unexpected. These women are sure to give you honest conversations that help accomplish one key issue, getting rid of mom shaming. So if you want a judgment-free, open conversation... Buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. This is Mom Talks with Krista. Hi guys, thanks for joining me today. I'm here with Melanie and I'm so excited because we are talking about two really big topics. PCOS is something that affects so many women and we get questions about it all the time in our group. So I really wanted to find an expert, someone that's been through it themselves. So today we're really going to talk about PCOS and fertility and so many topics that have to do with those as well. So we have Melanie here today and just to get started, if you just want to tell us a little bit about you and what you do.
0: Hi, I'm Melanie Keaton. I am a mom of three girls and a childbirth educator. And I have a a special focus in childbirth education and and preparation for those who are survivors of trauma or have precipitous labors, which means really, really fast labor, less than three hours, or uh, PCOS. And I have PCOS myself. So those topics are kind of the main focus in the types of clients I work with for childbirth education. And I also run uh, a childbirth blog and share birth stories specifically that answer the question, what did your birth experience teach you about yourself? So I do all of that, um, at returning if you ever want to come say hi, but, um, that's a little bit of my background and with my personal experience with PCOS, I'm just very excited to talk with you all about that today.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I was so excited to be connected with you because um, like I said, we've had so many people come into the group saying that they have PCOS and they don't know where to start. They have issues with fertility. They have issues with just their journey and not really fully understanding, um, you know, what it means and all that. So to kind of get started for those listening that are unaware of what it is, what is PCOS? What does it stand for? And what does it mean?
0: PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's kind of a misleading name because having multiple cysts on your ovaries doesn't diagnose you with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I really wish it was named something else, but you know, as many as about 25% of women have cysts on their ovaries, but most of them have no issues with that at all. So PCOS instead is more uh, a name for a group of symptoms that tend to connect to irregular menstrual cycles. Or trouble conceiving. So it's it's more a combination of lots of different types of symptoms and it's going to be different for everybody. So some people only have a couple symptoms, some have everything on the list and, you know, I might have three symptoms and you might have three completely different symptoms, but they're both called the same condition. So it really is something that varies drastically person by person. And so sometimes people can have some trouble with figuring out how to deal with their PCOS because it's, Because it is so different between individuals, the treatment needs to kind of be the same way. And a lot of times it's a one size only approach and that doesn't really work for everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for those listening, like who, who can get it or who is mostly affected by it? I guess like what, what would studies show? Like, is there a certain age group or is there a certain background or how does it affect certain people?
0: Basically anyone who has ovaries could have PCOS, uh, but generally it's something in women in their childbearing years. And what's complicated is that a lot of women will go on hormonal birth control to deal with symptoms regarding their menstrual cycle, maybe even into high school and they have been on it for many years. And a lot of times they don't go off of it until they're ready to get pregnant. So the hormonal birth control can mask some of the symptoms of PCOS. So a lot of people can have it without knowing they have it until they try to get pregnant and then run into trouble getting pregnant. So, you know, it, it can be tricky to diagnose and take a long time because there's all sorts of these other variables that can impact it. But generally it's, it's women in their childbearing years are the ones that are usually diagnosed.
1: Oh, interesting. That's so interesting about birth control, hiding the symptoms and then, so once they are off the birth control, ready to conceive is that a lot of times when some of those symptoms will come out and they kind of realize. Interesting. So now that we're talking about symptoms, so what are the, I know you said it differs from person to person, which I think a lot of these things kind of do, but what are some of the symptoms or common symptoms we do see with PCOS?
0: One of the biggest ones is irregular menstrual cycles. And for most people, they that's when they're getting diagnosis, they're trying to get pregnant, they're not having normal cycles, they're not ovulating, it's kind of hard to get pregnant if you're not ovulating, so that's usually the start for many people, but that's just one of the, the possible symptoms. So uh, other ones can be oily skin, acne, anxiety and depression, weight gain uh high androgens, which are male hormones. So high testosterone, DHEAS, and those types of hormones that would show up on a blood panel. So if you get blood work for hormonal levels, that may show up. A lot of times that's another first indicator for many people is to get a hormone panel and see really high testosterone. That's a definite sign of possible PCOS. Thinning hair on your head. That's definitely one that I have. And thankfully I have curly hair so I can hide it a little bit. (laughs) But you know, if I put my hair straight in a ponytail, it's like smaller than my pinky finger. I have tons of thinning in my hair. Another one that's no fun that I definitely have as well is a lot of male pattern hair growth. So on your chin, Mm -hmm. some people get it on their chest or their back. So dark hair on your face, hormonal acne that tends to be around the mouth and chin is a sign of hormonal acne, the thinning on the head with hair on the head, difficulty getting pregnant. Um, If you have a ultrasound done, which if your doctor thinks you may have PCOS, that's usually one of the things that they will do. Um, And on an ultrasound, if you have PCOS, you tend to have what they call a string of pearls Around your ovaries, it's kind of the little name they give to it. But mm-hmm. it's uh, multiple follicles around the ovary, and usually when you're ovulating normally, uh, one of them gets bigger and then releases an egg, and it diminishes all the other ones. But with PCOS, a lot of times your body is trying to ovulate and can't quite get there, so it just does it over and over and over again. So you just have all these extra follicles around your ovary, mm-hmm. and um, that's another possible sign or symptom that that can be seen on an actual test.
1: Okay. How then would someone be, get diagnosed? Because, you know, like you said, the symptoms are so different for each person. And my guess is each of these symptoms doesn't necessarily mean you have it. So how does one go about getting diagnosed um, for with it?
0: Well, first step is to talk to your doctor and they're going to go through your medical history. There is a hereditary component. So sometimes if you have family members that have it, that may lean a little heavier that that might be what you're dealing with as well. I know that's something that I have family members who have the same condition. So there's definitely a hereditary component, but having that medical history conversation with your doctor is usually the first step. If they think that there's enough there that may lean towards PCOS, usually they'll order some blood work to check for hormones and and levels there. So if you have high male uh, hormones like testosterone, and then also usually um, there's a pelvic exam and or an ultrasound to see if there's anything else going on or see what your ovaries look like. And it's really taking all of those different pieces of information together to see if it makes sense that there's enough here to say that PCOS explains it, not something else.
1: Okay. So I know we really want to talk about how PCOS affects different areas. So one being fertility. I know a lot of people, especially in our Facebook group, talk about having PCOS and having a lot of difficulty with getting pregnant. So how does PCOS affect fertility in general?
0: Well, PCOS causes irregular menstrual cycles. So usually, you know, in a normal cycle, you usually ovulate somewhere in the middle, the textbook say day 14, but that will vary person by person. And then after that, about two weeks later, you would see a period or you'd be pregnant. And that textbook version of a menstrual cycle looks very different sometimes with PCOS. A lot of times the hormone levels are off enough that your body tries to ovulate, but doesn't quite get there. And then a couple of days later, it might try again and doesn't quite get there and tries again. And tries again, and mm-hmm. that process makes really long cycles um, that are anovulatory. So you don't actually ovulate, even if your body's trying to. And so those are the two main things with with PCOS: is these long cycles without ovulation, or heavy periods can also be something that people experience. I definitely experienced the really long cycles. I would um, there were some times that I went a full one hundred days between periods. So very (laughs) unusual. That's not a normal menstrual cycle, you know? So if your body is trying that long in one cycle to ovulate once and it's not happening, that's a hundred days of, you know, no ovulation you can't get pregnant without ovulation. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's not like, okay, well, we'll just try next month. It's, it may take three months to have one chance. And so Mm -hmm. that has to do with a lot of the complications with trying to get pregnant because you have fewer chances. And then when you do, it's, it's not on day 14. What if it's on day 47? You know, how do you figure out which day that is? And so that's why fertility can usually be the main driving factor for women to go talk to their doctor if they're having trouble and something like PCOS could be the underlying issue.
1: Wow. And so I know this is something that you talk about affected you personally and you, like, I'm really interested in talking about your personal experience with it. You said you used an, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Is it na, na, na Pro or NAPRO? Technology? Napro, technology. Napro technology. Okay. Yes. Cool. And so, yeah, let's just hear about your experience because I'm sure a lot of women that are listening that are either, you know, struggling to get pregnant right now are kind of wondering, well, okay, what are my options? What can I do to make this better?
0: Kind of the, the mainstream medical approach to dealing with PCOS is generally going to be asking the question, are you trying to get pregnant? Or are you trying not to get pregnant? as step one. And if you're not wanting to be pregnant right now, generally it's to prescribe a hormonal birth control pill. Cause as I mentioned before, that's something that masks the symptoms of PCOS. So that's going to help with the regular cycles. And that's going to help with the hormone levels and the acne even, and, you know, it evens out some of those symptoms which is great if that's what your goal is, is just to minimize symptoms. But that was not my goal. My goal was to figure out what is the underlying cause of this issue and how can I deal with the root problem, not just the symptoms. And so for me, if I knew that hormonal birth control was just going to mask the symptoms, that wasn't the band-aid approach that worked for me. And if that's what you're looking for, that may be the best option for you. But when I wanted an alternative that was not either birth control pill until they want to get pregnant. And then if you can't get pregnant, we'll just give you fertility meds. You know, that wasn't the option that I wanted. I wanted, how do I figure out the root problem? How do I correct it to get my hormones in a normal place so I can do this as natural as possible without medication? That's what I wanted. And really that's the approach of NAPRO technology. So there are some uh, NAPRO technology trained OBGYNs uh, throughout the country You can go to their website, naprotechnology.com for more information about it, or to find a doctor that that is trained this specific way. But essentially I describe it as a functional medicine approach or a naturopathic approach to fertility. So they're looking at what is your baseline? What is your body's hormones doing? When are your hormones reacting uh, in your menstrual cycle? So they pair with Something called uh, the Creighton model of natural family planning, which is a way of charting your cycle. You may have heard of fertility awareness-based methods to either help you conceive or prevent pregnancy. It's the same idea as one of those, but this particular method goes with um, NAPRO technology. So my doctor would have me chart symptoms that I would notice, biological markers of fertility like cervical mucus, and and chart those, and then I would bring my chart with me to my doctor's appointment. And she would look at how I'm charting my symptoms throughout the month and based on that information, do specific blood draws on certain days of the cycle, not just a random day to see where our hormone levels on that particular point in the cycle. So we can really pinpoint what's going on and which supplements can help even out some of these hormones and and really Try to correct these imbalances to see if it can help my body do what it's supposed to do on its own. And that's all, those are all things that I would not be able to do if I was just using a hormonal birth control as an option. So it was something that really worked well for me. And one of the main pieces for me personally was uh, progesterone. So progesterone is a hormone that is required to maintain a pregnancy. And for PCOS we tend to run low in progesterone. And for me, that was something that I needed to reset uh, my cycle and to cause a withdrawal bleed. Not really a true period if I hadn't ovulated the cycle before, but if I was just in that pattern of try again, try again, try again, I was going to go hundred days progesterone for 10 days, each cycle, starting on a specific day, was something that allowed me to have a withdrawal bleed and start again. And sometimes what that would do was kickstart my body into regulating out the hormone levels and ovulating naturally. So by using this um, system, I have thankfully not experienced any miscarriages. And that's something that also is very common with PCOS because Mm it takes so long to try to get pregnant if that's what your goal is. And then once you do get pregnant, if your progesterone is low, there's a much higher chance you may miscarry. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like adding insult to injury. It's just awful. (laughs) And unfortunately Mm -hmm. in mainstream medical models, usually they require you to have had three miscarriages before you can start working in looking into fertility options and, and looking into the problem more. And that wasn't Mm -hmm going to work for me. It's like, if I knew my progesterone is off and my hormone levels are weird, I don't want to have three losses before I fix the problem. I want to fix the problem right away. And Mm -hmm. NAPRO technology was the path that I used that allowed me to do that. And, um, give you an idea. I've been able to confirm ovulation maybe eight times in the past, about 10 years, eight times total in 10 years. And I have three kids and no miscarriages. So I am a huge fan of NAPRO technology and it may not be the right fit for everybody who's listening, but it was the right fit for me. And a lot of people have never heard of it. And I don't have the stats handy. I was going to try to look them up, but there are some stats that show that people who used NAPRO technology to help them conceive had a higher rate of success than even using IVF. Wow. Wow. And it's way cheaper, (laughs) way cheaper. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things that you don't know what's the best option for you if you don't know what all the options are,
1: you Mm -hmm. know,
0: and this is one other option out there that might be right. And so I scream it from the rooftops, check it out. (laughs) It's awesome. And there unfortunately aren't tons of NAPRO technology OBGYNs out there, but a lot of them do take remote clients. So you might be able to travel a couple hours to meet them in person once and then do all of your blood work and your treatment and care plan over the phone remotely. And I know of multiple doctors that do that. So Mm -hmm. sometimes if you think, oh, there's nobody near me, that's not an option that works. Sometimes it is still an option. So oh wow, keep in mind.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So that's, I mean, it's almost like a very specific specialized care plan for you based on your body's needs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause I think so many times we try to do this one size fits all kind of thing, but it's like, everyone's different. Everyone needs different things. Exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I think like you said, so many people don't know of that and there's so many people struggling and, you know, struggling with their fertility journey and, when they do get pregnant, are fearful of, you know, um, what could happen or are they going to be able to get pregnant again? So that's awesome that you are able to share that. This podcast is sponsored by Mommy Knows Best. Are you looking for a lactation cookie that's not only effective, but tastes good? Mommy Knows Best offers an assortment of lactation cookies, brownies, and our newest ready-to-eat lactation cookies. Perfect for our on-the-go moms. We offer six different flavors, including a dairy and gluten-free option. And let me tell you guys, you would not even know it's dairy gluten-free unless someone told you. It's, it's so good. Mommy Knows Best empowers all moms with the tools and resources necessary to give your newborn the best start in life. With an assortment of lactation treats and supplements that contain all natural herbal remedies traditionally and effectively used for generations to treat low milk supply. Whether you're a new mom or a pro, Mommy Knows Best gives you plenty of options, all of which are created with the health and safety of both baby and mom in mind. Right now, Mommy Knows Best is offering 20% off when you use the code MOMTALKS at MommyKnowsBest.com. That's M-O-M-T-A-L-K-S for 20% off. You also kind of talk about how other kind of areas of life that PCOS can kind of affect. So how does it affect childbirth? I know you know, you had to talk about going the more naturopathic approach for conceiving. So did, is, is there a s- similar thing for childbirth or what are the kind of uh, ways it can affect it?
0: So I can have a, a slogan, I guess, <laughs> for <laughs> explaining birth is that um, my philosophy on birth, if you want to call it that, is there is no wrong way to give birth just your way. And I think you can take that same philosophy and apply it to treatment plans of PCOS. There's no wrong way to treat your PCOS. It's just what works for you. You know, like, for example, if you know you want to have an epidural for your delivery, you're not going to hire a home birth midwife. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't make sense. So if you want a natural approach to treating your PCOS, it gets to the root of the problem. Maybe mainstream medical approach is not the right fit for you. And I have found that people who are more on board with the NAPRO approach to using progesterone and supplementing progesterone during pregnancy either are NAPRO technology, OBGYNs, which sometimes don't actually do deliveries themselves. They just kind of manage your hormone levels as a co care with whoever your provider is that you're going to be delivering with, whether it's at a hospital or birth center, OB or midwife. But the other option outside of NAPRO that tend to be on board with checking progesterone and managing progesterone levels tends to be midwives. I've run into a lot of pushback with other OBs, um, with, oh no, you know, we don't check that. We don't do that. Uh, and I used the NAPRO doctor to managing my progesterone And also paired that with my midwives and they were very on board with, sure, tell us more about it and, you know, let's work together. So that may or may not be the case for you. You may have an OB that's super on board with looking at a NAPRO approach and like co-care and that kind of stuff. Or some that are just like, yeah, no, we don't do that. So it really just depends on what your approach is. You know, if you are wanting to be on birth control to manage your symptoms, go off birth control, see what happens. And, you know, if PCOS is preventing you from conceiving, NAPRO is not your only option. If you want to use fertility meds, that's an option too. Like Clomid is a really common one. And, you know, that's something that a traditional OB, that's the normal next step for most people. So it really just depends on what is your philosophy on how you want to treat your PCOS and how does that trickle down into how you're going to plan your birth experience. So, you know, with PCOS, that's not something that automatically makes you high risk. It's not something Mm -hmm. that you have to go, you know, through maternal fetal medicine and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, you know, it's not. Um, There are some other things that are going to vary person by person to see where the best place or type of birth would be for you. You know, weight gain is one of the symptoms for many people with PCOS. And if you do have higher weight, there are some other conditions that may be more common, but weight by itself does not make you high risk. And some doctors do treat it that way, unfortunately. So it's really finding the right care team for you. And, you know, there's nothing about PCOS that means you're going to be automatically high risk or not be able to have the type of birth you want. But again, there's no wrong way to give birth. It's just how you want to do it. So I found the NAPRO approach and a more natural approach to treatment of PCOS was the right fit for me. And for me in particular, that's also my philosophy with childbirth. And so midwives were a really great fit for me. And that worked well as a team together. Um, that may not be the right fit for somebody else, but PCOS in and of itself is not something that has negatively impacted my pregnancies or my deliveries. But one thing that I teach in childbirth classes, um, either one on one or in a group, that I think applies really well to PCOS and kind of making the decision on, you know, if you do get pregnant, who and what type of provider should you have or you know, maybe you think you might have PCOS, what type of doctor or a naturopath, or who do I go see is using the acronym brain and um, brain. The B is for benefits. R is for risks, a alternatives, I intuition and, N nothing or not yet. So this is an acronym brain that I use all the time <laughs> in talking about childbirth. Cause there's so many things you have to make decisions about. So PCS is another thing you can make decisions about, and it's basically looking at what are all of my options? What are the benefits and risks of this option? If I'm not sure about it, what are my other options, my alternatives? Do I have a checking in with yourself? Do I have a gut feeling? Is this the right fit for me or not? And then may what if I just wait and don't decide yet and come back to it? And you can apply that to any decision during pregnancy, any decision during childbirth, any decision in your entire life. (laughs) It's like probably the most helpful tool that I've used. And I've used that with making plans about birth. And I've made that about figuring out what kind of doctor to see for my PCOS. And I've changed it over the years and what worked at one stage of my life may change and I may do something else for a different stage. And you know, I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it. And yeah, I see a lot of parallels between choosing your birth plan care team and PCOS care team. And that's a a good way to kind of help you figure out which way is the best option for you.
1: Awesome. And so is PCOS something that kind of develops on its own or like you you're, or you're born with it, or can it, can can it come like later on in life? So like, say, I know you said kind of most women find it when they're childbearing years, but so let's say someone had a child, can they develop it after? having the first child for their second child, or is that kind of like if you had it for the first one, then you kind of carry that through your children?
0: Well, PCOS is not something that the exact cause is completely known. Um, so we don't know for sure. It could be that you had PCOS, but didn't know it yet. Um, mm-hmm. cause you can have PCOS and still get pregnant. You can still ovulate. You know, it could be that you developed PCOS later on in life. It's possible to get pregnant and deliver one baby and then have secondary infertility for unexplained reason mm-hmm. after that, which could be from PCOS or something else. You know, there's so many variables. PCOS untreated tends to get worse over time.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's also
0: possible that it's just slowly gearing up and you're seeing the symptoms more later on.
1: Okay. So in general, take, you know, fertility out of it for a second. PCOS, like regular symptoms, what are there some natural or some different ways you can treat symptoms? I know um, you're saying there's, again, it differs from person to person, but if you, if symptoms and severity of it can get worse, what are different things that, um, that people can do to kind of help those symptoms throughout their life?
0: Diet and exercise are huge. It's hard with PCOS because if one of the symptoms you experience is weight gain, because it tends to be hormonal, It can be extra hard to lose weight, but if you do lose weight for many people, it does improve the symptoms you experience with PCOS. So that can be one thing. There's also a component with many people with PCOS, uh, insulin resistance. So if that's one of the things that's attached to your version of PCOS, following a low glycemic diet uh, can help prevent type two diabetes and all the medical conditions that can go with that. Um, some people really see a lot of benefit, whether they need to lose weight or not by doing intermittent fasting or a more ketogenic type diet, but it really is going to depend. I mean, I keep coming back to that, but it does, you know, because some people have weight gain and some don't, some have insulin resistance and some don't. And the approach Mm -hmm. that works for you is going to depend on which symptoms you have in general, healthy Diet and exercise, and, and I don't mean diet as in following a specific type of weight loss mm-hmm. diet, but just the type of food you're eating in general. You know, looking at overall well well being, uh, lowering stress. And sometimes low impact things like yoga can be super helpful because sometimes there's a ton of stress that goes with this depression and anxiety that go with this. And, you know, I'm more of a, let's look at all of these different areas combined and see if we can treat all of them. Not just like one symptom by itself, but your well being overall, but yeah, diet and exercise is a huge thing that anyone can start right away.
1: Awesome. That's good to know. And then you talk about it also affecting like. Um, postpartum. So breastfeeding, and I'm sure also with the hormones after birth as well. So what can you say about, you know, affecting postpartum?
0: So postpartum can be a really difficult time for many people, but with PCOS, if you're planning to breastfeed, there can be in some cases, some extra hurdles, not always, but there can be. So something to be aware of beforehand. So you can be prepared with enough resources to help you meet your breastfeeding goals, at the ready, if you need them. So about one third of people with PCOS will experience low milk supply. About one third will experience an oversupply, which has its own set of problems. And the other third will have an about normal milk supply. So I personally kind of fell into the normal supply category, which I was very thankful for. I was a just enougher, <laughs> but I, I didn't run into significant problems with milk supply in particular. had plenty of other issues with breastfeeding that I thankfully was able to find support for to reach what my breastfeeding goals were. Uh, And I cannot say enough about finding a good IBCLC. That's International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And I've used the same one for all three of my kids. And she has been fantastic. And sometimes if you're giving birth in a hospital, you can ask for lactation support, which I highly recommend, but it depends on what your hospital is, what options are available to you. Sometimes it's just a lactation nurse who might be a nurse who took an afternoon class in lactation and has some extra knowledge, but that's very different than somebody who is an IBCLC. So if you are in a hospital, ask if there's an IBCLC that you can see right away uh, after delivery, even if you don't see any significant problems, just to get you on the right foot. You can even see um, an IBCLC while you're still pregnant. A lot of the private practice lactation consultants will offer that as an option to meet with you while you're still pregnant. And again, postpartum, I recommend seeing a private practice IBCLC within one week of delivery at home in your own personal space. I think that's a very different experience than in the hospital. I'm not saying don't do it in the hospital, but do both if you can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes insurance covers the private practice ones. Sometimes you pay out of pocket and can get reimbursed. Sometimes it's just out of pocket, but any of those situations, It's highly worth it to make sure that you're starting out on the right foot because with PCOS, since their hormones are at play here and they can lean you into oversupply or an undersupply, if you catch a problem immediately, it can prevent you from kind of going, you know, off track really fast where you can't necessarily come back from it. Most problems do have solutions and with the right support, you can find them if that's what's right for you in that situation. And, you know, like for low supply. If you already are on borderline with supply and maybe your baby has a tongue or lip tie on top of it, that's going to contribute to that problem. It's going to become a bigger and bigger problem. And the sooner you find support to maybe get those ties corrected or change your position or saying, or all sorts of things that the lactation consultant can help with, maybe that keeps it from going off track and just kind of keeps you here. And you may still need to supplement sometimes if you're not making enough, but that's very different than wanting to breastfeed as much as possible and going way off track and needing to stop before you want to. So, um, IBCLC, no matter what the problem is, see one right away, just so you have enough support, um, on hand if you need it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's something we always talk about here too. Is like, if you have, you know, you can do so much learning and research at home, but having someone there, that's an expert, in IBCLC is going to be your best bet invaluable. for breastfeeding. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I always like to end these interviews with what I call fun thinking questions just to get kind of your your perspective on it. So, if you could have a billboard made today where you'd share one tip with moms everywhere,
0: what would you have it say? I would have a giant billboard <laughs> that says that trust your intuition. You're doing great. Because there's so much critique of other moms, you know, there's so much mom shaming of who's doing what and how, and it's just you're the expert on your kid, trust your intuition, hundred percent.
1: Yep. I love that. That's perfect. It's a great way to end the interview. <laughs> and finally, of course, where can everyone follow you and what kind of um, information do you offer on your page and all that?
0: Sure. So um, you can find me on my website, which is returning I have a childbirth blog and a selection of birth stories that focus on all types of births, but that answer the question, what did your birth experience teach you about yourself? I am taking new submissions. So if you want to share your birth story, feel free to email me returning to birth at gmail.com. And you can also find me at returning to birth on Instagram. And I do have uh, on the website, a free five day childbirth email course that um, you're free to check out if that's something that may help you out.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Again, I said like, this has been such a highly requested topic. So I was so glad to connect with you and I think this will be an awesome episode.
0: Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mom Talks with Krista
1: podcast. For more information about this show, past shows, or to check out our YouTube channel, please see our show notes. If you loved the show, please share it with your mom tribe, the bigger, the better. Thanks for listening and have a great day.